welcome to the online ministry of the sermons at Coastal Community Church. And we are so grateful you took time to, to watch the sermon. One of the things that uh, we have a deep conviction of here at Coastal Community Church is that this online sermon that you're downloading or streaming is, is, a, is a supplement to your spiritual growth. And we, we think it's real important that you're a part of a local church. So uh, even as you watch this sermon, and I hope it encourages you and challenges you, uh, I hope that you'll find a local church. Uh, if you live in the Hampton Roads area, I hope that you'll consider checking out Coastal Community Church. We have three services on Sunday morning, uh, 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15. And uh, so we'd love for you, for you to join us at one of those services. I do want to introduce our new sermon series uh, that we're doing. We're taking some time going through 1 Timothy. We entitled the series Guarding the Gospel. And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, mentors a young pastor, Timothy, uh, and he talks to him about how to establish a church so that the gospel of Christ can be guarded in a sense that it's pure uh, and kept true and so that it can be um, brought to a lost and dying world. So I hope you'll enjoy this series through Timothy Guarding. We're excited that it is Father's Day. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. In a world where fatherhood is becoming less and less, it is our prayer at Coastal Community Church that today, dads, that you are encouraged and that God grows you today in your families. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, we're going to watch Jesus interact with the Father. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. Let me set this passage up. Jesus is coming down with Peter, James, and John from the mountain after transfiguration, which means he revealed his glory to them. And as they're coming down, the rest of his disciples were at the bottom of the hill having an argument. And so Jesus comes down in the midst of the argument and kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Um, verse 14 of Mark chapter 9. At the foot of the mountain, they found a great crowd surrounding the other disciples as some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. The crowd watched Jesus in awe as he came toward them, and then they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, he asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son for you to heal him. He can't speak because he is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this evil spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground and makes him foam at the mouth and grind his teeth and become rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you until you believe? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, wreathing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this, has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was very small, the evil spirit often makes him fall into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us. Do something if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus said. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly replied, I do believe, but help me not to doubt. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Spirit of deafness and muteness, 
He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy lay there motionless and he appeared to be dead. A murmur through the crowd, he's dead. But Jesus took, by, took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone to the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. Let's pray. And precious Father, I just come before you because you are the Father of fathers. You are the Father God, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord God. And I pray today for all the men here, Father God, that maybe have a good relationship with their dad, maybe don't have a good relationship with their dad, maybe are struggling as a parent. I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that you would come and you would be there and comfort them. Lord God, teach us your word. Teach us what it is to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Grow us, Lord God. Help us, Father God, as men to leave a legacy for our families. Help us, Lord God, to be sanctified fathers. We know that sanctification only comes from you, Father. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have three brothers. I'm one of four. And um, most people say my poor mother. But um, it's really my dad who was kind of the one that really kind of helped us as we grew up. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in a household where corporal punishment was very, it was embraced, really. Um, not by the kids, but by the parents. And um, which means we got spanked. And uh, as, as growing up, we often got into trouble. And my dad was very wise and very good as I was reflecting on this Father's Day message in dealing with us uniquely and individually. In that we would mess up, um, my dad would spank us, and then we would straighten up. That was pretty much how it went. And so growing up, um, we would get caught doing something, all of us, and my dad would say, I told you not to do that. You did that, and um, it's time to line up, go to the bathroom. The bathroom was a room that had no windows, so we could scream all we want, and no one else could hear. Um, and so we would line up outside the bathroom. This was an often occurrence, probably too often that I'd like to admit. And my dad would take us in one by one. And he would explain everything that had happened. If my older brother didn't kick me in first, he was usually the first one to go. Because if he knew if he could go, if I, if I went first, he could run to his bedroom and throw on six pairs of underwear so it didn't hurt as bad. Um, but he would run in. I would, he would take us one by one and he would sit down and he would explain to us what happened and why we were getting this discipline. And so while we were being disciplined, my dad would, um, would kind of explain what happened and he would say, and this is why I'm going to have to discipline you. And my older brother, myself, and my younger twin brothers, they 
reacted very differently. We all reacted very differently. Um, all of us had a kind of a way of how we thought was the best way to get, pull one over on dad or kind of get out of it. Um, and so all of us responded differently. And so my older brother, he would always respond with lying. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. Another child looked just like me. He did it and then left. I was more of like the one that I figure I could appeal to his compassionate side, kill me, beat me, bleed me, you know, it's okay, dad, I deserve it. Maybe he'll have compassion on me and I won't get in trouble. And I would be like, yeah, I'm going to get out of this. My, um, my older, the older twin brother by four minutes, he would always try to make a deal with dad Dad, um, I know I did it, but how about I mow the lawn and then we call it even, you know, and you don't have to spank me and then you get a lawn mowed. And uh, my dad wouldn't fall for that one either. And then my younger brother, he was kind of dumb. He, um, he would just look at my dad and go, yeah, dad, I did it. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> it didn't really matter. None of it worked because all of us got whooped. We'd all walk in pleading our case. We'd all come out the same way. Your turn. And I was thinking about this for Father's Day. Amazing, right? You know, as I'm growing up. And I was thinking about this idea of my dad loved us so much that he didn't want us to stay the same way. He loved us enough to take the time to discipline us. And these disciplined times weren't very fast. It would take, it's an hour and a half to two hours that uh, spanking all of us. And the reason is, is because after we would get spanked, my dad would take us in his arms and hold us until we stopped crying. And then he'd pray with us. And then he'd have us pray once we calmed down. And it was interesting because I was thinking about this because I think our Father in Heaven doesn't want us to stay the same way either. In fact, our Father in Heaven, He wants us to be more like Him. The problem is we need Christ to do that. The problem is that once we're saved, there's this process of life that we have to live in this human flesh. And I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. I know some of you thought I was, but I'm really not. Pastor Sean is, but I'm not. <laughs> we know that's not true. It's this idea, though, of this process that God wants us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ, and he is working in our lives to be more like Jesus And this is the message this morning for us, that we would be sanctified now, sanctification is this. Sanctification or sanctified means to be set apart or to make pure, free from sin and guilt for the purpose of God. It's this idea that once we come to know Christ, we're sanctified, we're set apart for God. But the problem is we're in this fleshly suit and God doesn't want us to stay the same way. And so what does he do? He puts us, we're on this journey and he makes us more like his son, Jesus Christ, using the Holy Spirit of God to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 12, Romans 6, you can read about it. But I want to take you over to Hebrews chapter 10 if you want to turn there real fast because I think the writer of Hebrews says it best 
in verse 14 of Hebrews 10. For by that one, speaking of Christ, offering, for that one offering, which was Christ's sacrifice on the cross, that he died on the cross for our sins, he perfected forever, perfected, meaning that we have been perfected because of Christ taking our place, the doctrine of justification. All those whom he is making holy. Doesn't say that we are holy, We are holy, but he's also making us holy. It's this process of God doesn't want us to stay the same way once we come to know Christ. He wants us to grow in the knowledge of Christ and grow in our relationship with Christ each and every day. That's the sanctification process. That's the process that God isn't going to keep us with the way we are, but he is going to make us one day like his son, Jesus Christ. So it's this idea of I'm sanctified once I'm saved, I'm being sanctified, and one day when I see Jesus face to face, I will be sanctified, okay? So now we're talking about the process now that we're living in that I'm being sanctified. God doesn't want us to stay the same way. And definitely as dads and fathers, he doesn't want us to stay the same way. And so from this story, I want to pull four characteristics of a sanctified father as we look at this father. Now next week, ladies, we're going to continue on in 1 Timothy, and we're going to be talking about the goal of women, the role of women the ideas of women in this process. But the idea this morning here is this idea of four characteristics of a sanctified father, and I'm gonna tie it back to 1 Timothy at the end here. But the first characteristic is this from the story is that they are the lover of the family. A sanctified father is the lover of the family. This man brings his son to Jesus' disciples to heal him. Can you see the desperation in the dad? My son is ill. My son, nobody, I've taken him any and everywhere. This dad was desperate. This dad loved his son. How do we know that he loved his son? He didn't send his wife to do it. He brought his son. It was just his son. He took responsibility for his son. The fact that his son was demon-possessed, the fact that his son was constantly this burden upon him, he loved his son still, that he wanted to get him help, and he was going to do everything, anything and everything in his power to do it. This point, this in our generation is becoming less and less where the men of the family are the providers for their family, but they're not the lovers of their family. A lot of times, dads will say, you know, I make the money and everything else is mom. No, men, it's time for us to become the lovers of our family. It's time for us to take the PhD in how to love our family, beginning with your wife, then each child. And that's, that's the point of 1 Timothy 5.8. Listen to 1 Timothy 5.8. It says, but those who don't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Care, not just provision, but care. 
that we're in the process of caring for our families. Great book, Gary Smalley, Five Languages of Love. Read it. Every single one of my children, I have four. Well, Stone, he's a baby. He's nine months, so I don't really know what his love language is. But my wife and I discuss the love languages of our children because I want to know how to love my children in the way that they need to be loved. I look and study my children. What do they need from me? And can I give that to them? That's what it is to be the lover of your family. It means to look at your wife and to say that I love her first. I remember when my son was about three and he was understanding boys and girls and that daddy was a boy and that mommy was a girl. And he basically was going to disobey. He disobeyed and he looked and he said, dad, I obey you. I don't obey mom. And I said, son, I love you, but I love your mother more. And when I said that to him, he goes, what? <laughs> like he couldn't understand it. He couldn't understand. You're a boy. I'm a boy. You should love me more because we're the same. No, I love my, and so when I come home, I'm very intentional of loving my wife first, of hugging my wife, unless the kids are running to the door. Um, I love my wife first. I, I sit with her, I talk with her, I engage in her, and then I go oldest to youngest with each of my children and love them and hug them. Why? Because they need to know that their dad loves them. And not just with my words, but with my physical touch, good touch. If I don't give my daughters good touch, there's a million other boys when they get older, they're gonna wanna give them bad touch. So I'm gonna teach them the difference. Stay away, boys. I'm being serious. <laughs> no, I'm into acts of service. There's all these ways that I need to, to, to love my children. I need to know how they love, give and receive love. And this man was the lover of his son. He loved his son enough to do anything in his power to find a way to get his boy healed. Deuteronomy 6, 7 Deuteronomy 6.6 6 is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then it says this in verse 7, repeat them again and again to your children. This idea about loving God. Talk to them about what you, uh, talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road. When you're going to bed and when you're getting up. This idea of loving God. The only, your children are going to learn from you how you love. Are they going to learn from mom? Yes. But men, let me share something with you. Your sons are looking to you to teach them how to love. Your daughters are looking as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8, Paul, the apostle Paul gives us a grocery list of what love is and what love isn't. When he says love is patient and kind, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Are we loving each member of our family and the way they need to be loved. We have got to be the lovers of our family. 
Second thing that we see from this father here is this, and a four characteristic of a sanctified father is that they are patient with their children. They are patient with their children. I'm not a patient person. In fact, my prayer every morning to God is, God, teach me patience and teach it to me now. Some of you will get that later. It's this idea that it, it, I'm not talking about our own natural patience. I'm talking about a supernatural patience that comes from God. Galatians 5.22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. I can't do this in and of myself. That's why the sanctification process, it's God doing it through me. I can't love my family in the way they need to be loved. I can't be patient with my children, especially when they're kicking the back of my seat while we're driving. And I've told them a hundred times, stop kicking the back of my seat. I forgot, dad. How many times are you going to forget? And then they start touching their seat. Stop touching me. Stop touching me. You better stop. I'm going to pull over the car. Reaching and grabbing everything that you can. Maybe you've been there. They're patient with their children. This father was patient with his son. Look at verse 21. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was very small. You know what that communicates to me? That this has been going on for a long time. Because the implication is that he's old now. What's old? I don't know. But this has been happening since he was small. And the dad, then the dad gives some more insight. The evil spirit often makes him fall into the fire. So who has to put him out? Dad or mom or into the water trying to kill him? Can you hear the desperation of the dad? Have mercy on us and help us do something if you can. Dads, are you desperate for your kids sometimes? What would you do? They are patient with their children. And sometimes it, it, I see this desperation and I think, man, you know what? He's doing anything and everything to get his son healed. But the patience has been there for a long time. Maybe you're a parent here and your son and daughter have gone away and have not followed the Lord don't give up. God will bring them back. Don't give up. Don't give up. Continue to pray. God will do the work. Luke chapter 15, verse 20, in the story of the prodigal son, he asked his dad, I want all my money now. He goes out and squanders it. He's living in a pig pen. He realizes I need to go home. Because I, I, could live, I could live like a servant, which lives, which lives a lot better than the way I'm living right now. And what does the father do? So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, verse 20 of Luke 15, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He was patiently waiting for his son that maybe today is the day. Don't give up. Don't give up on your children. Patiently wait 
and then celebrate when they come home. Celebrate when they return. It's this process. I'm not perfect and I can't have patience, but I'm in the sanctification process. I'm being made holy. I'm holy, I'm being made holy, and one day I will be holy or sanctified. I'm in this process now, and I need God to make up the difference. And God makes up the difference in the fact that I don't love my family the way that I should. I'm not as patient as I probably should, but God helps me make up the difference. So the question is, is are we willing to run the marathon of life with our children? Are you willing, or is it a sprint or is it not a race at all? I have, I have four children. I have three really close together, and then I have like a bonus child. My wife and I hit the bonus round in our old age. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And um, all of them are very, very unique. But when my nine-month-old son starts screaming at the middle of the night... It's at that point that, and my wife looks at me as exhausted. And she says, can, can you get him this time? Uh-huh. And I don't even realize I'm up until I'm about halfway to his crib. And I'm like, oh, she got me, you know? <laughs> and I get him and I change his diaper or whatever and put him back down. It's this idea of that God wants to do in us this, this constantly wanting to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And sometimes he uses his children to do it. He's teaching us because he doesn't want us to stay the way that we are. He wants us to make us, make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And that's the process that God has us in. That's the process that this man was on as he's talking to Jesus. The third thing is this characteristic of, of a sanctified father is this. They are honest about who they are. They are honest about who they are. His father wasn't hiding who he was or what he believed or what he didn't believe. Look at verse 24. The father instantly replied, I do believe, but help me not to doubt. In another translation, it says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. He wasn't trying to hide who he was. In fact, he was very transparent. His son heard him. The crowd heard him, Jesus heard him, the disciples heard him. He was extremely honest. He was, he was, he was open to the point of, of vulnerability before Jesus in a way that was just amazing. And God wants us to be honest. Where do children learn to hide their sin? Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Right? Yeah, but you know what? They learn it from us as parents. Because if we don't become transparent with who we are and our struggles, then they're never going to need the Savior. But when we are transparent about who we are and our mistakes, then we can look to them and say, listen, mommy and daddy need, a G- Jesus, need Jesus just as much as you do. It's very easy for me sometimes to tell my daughter, my 13-year-old daughter, who I have absolutely no idea sometimes how to connect with. She's looking at me and she's like, don't touch me, daddy, don't touch me. She's crying and then it's I'm like, leave her alone because I try to hug her because she's upset. And then, and then I go, okay. And then she goes, wait, daddy, hold me. And I'm like, which one is it? I don't know. 
And then I kind of like hold her kind of, you know, it's this idea of, and I look at her and I say, I mess up, honey. I don't know. I don't know how to raise you sometimes. I'm just doing the best I can and I'm asking God to make up the difference. Sometimes a sanctified father just has to get real honest with God. And in disciplining your children, be honest with them. The hardest thing for me to do is to discipline my children for the sins they see in me. Because it's, it, I have those weaknesses and the reason they have those weaknesses and that sin is because of me. I want to say it's their mother, but it's really me. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, children obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is right, the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have long life on the earth. Verse four says this, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. And, and one of the, man, that verse to me is the most convicting because I want to mock my kids when they do something stupid. I do. I think my kids are hysterical. And I let them know that, and they have no idea that they're mocking them. But now my 13-year-old daughter is seeing it, and it's like, you know what? And it just makes her angry. And my daughter, we, we memorized this scripture when she was young. My daughter quoted it to me, and I was like, oh. That's me. I got to be a sanctified father. I got to go through this process. But sometimes they're so dumb. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But I don't want to provoke them. Colossians 3.21. And so I have to be honest. Listen, you're right. Daddy shouldn't mock you. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. I think there's a lot of discouraged children. Proverbs 19.18. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. I think there's a lot of ruined lives too. We've got to be consistent to be honest about who we are and honest about the way that we discipline. Not only loving, not only being patient, but then being honest. This man was very honest about his weaknesses. Are we honest about who we are with the Lord, ourselves, and our family? Enough to seek forgiveness when we make mistakes? I've gotten in this habit with my 13-year-old daughter. I come in her room after I give her a grocery list of things that she didn't do or should, should have done, and, I, and I, I know it's wrong, and I'm like, oh, I just blew it. And I walk in, and she's crying in her bed or something. Usually my wife says, you just made her cry because she holds it together and has that game face, and then she goes into her room, closes the door. She goes, you just, bl you just blew her out of the water. And I was like, oh. And I walk in and I sit down next to her and I'm getting in the habit of doing this. And I kind of, I kind of touch her arm and I say, Hannah, I love you and I'm so sorry. I, I, I didn't do it right. And I wanna, I wanna be better. And she's like, it's okay, Dad. It's okay every time. It's okay, Dad. And I was thinking about this relationship with God. Have you ever been there where you feel like God has forgotten you? And you're just like, God, I think you really messed up. 
and you're waiting to hear an apology from God, and you're like, but God, you're perfect. You're not going to apologize. It, that's not the point. It's not the apology that, that, that Hannah is looking for as much as it's just that honesty of relationship where the Father comes to us as children, and he's there with us, and he loves us, and he's there with us. In the process, the Father is honest about who they are, and God, our Father, is very clear in who he is. That's why he gave us his word. And he wants us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. Fourth thing is this, the characteristic of a godly father. They lead their families to Jesus through prayer and fasting. This is, without a doubt, the, the one that I think that our children are watching us Joshua 24, 15, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would, it, would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But then Joshua says, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. This man led his son to Jesus. So much so that he was willing to allow his son to be killed because everyone's like, he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. But then Jesus gives us a little bit of an insight. His disciples ask a question a little bit later. And they say, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. The idea of how do we lead our family to Jesus? How do we lead our family spiritually? Here's some very practical things. One of the very, very practical things that you can do is just come to church. Lead your family to church. Be the first one in the car. Encourage your kids to get up in the morning. Don't let your wife be the one that browbeats them to get them to church. You be the one that's leading the way, knowing that church is important because dad thinks it's important, not just mom. That's hard. It's praying for your family, praying for your children. Every morning, every night, praying for them, praying with them. It's constantly interacting with God. Remember Pastor Sean last week as he talked about prayer of men, that men need to pray. Dads, we need to pray. In some ways, when I look at what's going on in this world, man, do we need to pray. That God would call us to pray for our children. Not just say, it's for me and my family we will serve the Lord, but then demonstrate it on our faces before God as we pray. And when there's something going on with our children, that we would fast and pray before the Lord for our children. Because I feel like sometimes they're gnashing their teeth, they're foaming at the mouth. They might not be demon-possessed, but they do stupid things. And I pray. And my prayer is very honest sometimes before the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't even know what I'm doing sometimes. When's the last time you led your family to Jesus in prayer and fasting? It's, it's you taking the lead and saying before Mealtime, let's pray. 
It's these things, and it's the consistency of these things that the children are watching. Will we take responsibility for our family when we lead them to Christ, no matter what the cost? And sometimes the cost is high. What's your morning time look like? Are you leading them to Jesus? What's your evening look like? Are you leading them to Jesus? See, God is calling us men to be fathers. He is the father to us as his children. He expects us to be fathers to our children and to the children of the church. There's a great little passage in Job 29, 16 that talks about how Job was not just a father to his children, but he was a father to the children of the poor. Those that maybe didn't have fathers. There should be no child here that doesn't feel like he doesn't have lots of fathers because when you come to Coastal, we're a family and family means we make up for the difference that God calls us. And so when I go to the ball game, I'm not just taking my son, I'm gonna take somebody else whose dad is maybe away on deployment or I'm taking another son whose maybe dad is, is away or absent or gone. It's the idea that God has given us a responsibility that we ought to step out to be this. I, I had a whole bunch of stats that I wanted to share, but I'm like, you know what? <laughs> There's, everybody knows everybody that, that, that children need dads. And everybody knows that children don't have dads. And so now here's the question. It's time for us to step up, men, to invite the men to be something more, not to be perfect, but to be sanctified, to recognize that we're in process and that God makes up the difference every time we mess them up. I tell my wife this all the time. I think we're messing up our children who don't even know it. Thank God for counseling. <laughs> but it's this God's expectation is for us to be authentic followers of Jesus Christ and the results will be that our families will follow Jesus Christ. We must do this through much prayer. I was thinking about the tragedy as I was preparing this message and kind of looking at this and praying through this this week about what happened in Charleston. And I was thinking about his dad. Where is his dad? What did his dad teach him? What did his dad teach him about the church? How he could go into a church and gun down nine people. What, was, what did he learn? What was he taught? And my heart broke and I thought, how many other boys, young men out there that are just looking for some male affirmation? Listen, I can't raise my sons by, by themselves. I need help. That's why God has called us to come together. That's why God has called us. But this morning, it's Father's Day, and so men, here's the deal. God wants us to make up the difference, stand in the gap for our families so that we would be the lovers of our family be patient with our children, and be honest with who we are, and that we would lead our families to Jesus. 
That doesn't come naturally. That only comes through a supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you can do that this morning and invite Christ into your life. Say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Come into my life and save me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the grave. And by faith, I receive you into my life. It's Christ that makes up the difference. It's Christ that finishes the process. Christ is the one that's gonna make up the difference every day with your kids. If we're steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this, that our labor is not in vain. This morning, if you're discouraged because of a relationship with a child or a relationship with a dad, it's my prayer that today would be a new beginning, that Christ, you would see Christ and that Christ would make up the difference, that God the Father would come and comfort you in this, in this moment. And you would call upon the name of the Lord. You would ask him to help you. No perfect people, only a wonderful, amazing God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray for the fathers today. I pray for the men. I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that you would supernaturally raise us up. Not to try harder, Lord God, but to just have you work in us and through us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to exemplify these characteristics like this father did. I pray for the tragedy of Charleston, Lord God, and the church this morning, Lord, how they're meeting together without a pastor. Some are meeting without a father. Some are meeting without a husband. I pray, Lord God, for that church, Lord. I pray for all the churches this morning, Lord God your Holy Spirit would come down and you would do some supernatural moving in and amongst the people, that many people would look to you and recognize that, Lord Jesus, that you're the hope for our nation, your gospel, you making us more like your son, Jesus Christ. I pray for this young man, Lord God, that he would come to know you as personal Lord and Savior. Lord, that you would do a work, Lord God, supernaturally in his life. You would redeem him, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for today. It's in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been visiting with Coastal, we're glad that you're here this morning. We're gonna receive our tithes and offerings this morning. Don't feel obligated to give. You being here has been a gift to us. We would ask that um, we have an opportunity um, to give to the Lord as our regular attenders and members give to the Lord. The Bible says, freely you've received, now freely give. We give joyfully, not grudgingly or out of necessity. And so as we receive this offering, this is an act of worship. It's an act and an opportunity to give back to the Lord because he's been so good to us, so gracious. 
Let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this offering. Father, bless your people. Bless this offering. Use it for your glory. Use it to further your ministry. Be with those that are in Honduras now, Lord God. Keep them safe. Bring them back safely to us, Lord God. Raise them up, Lord Jesus. We love you so very much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the offering is being passed, continue to pray for those that are in Honduras. Pastor Sean and Joey, they're all down in Honduras. I just got a text for them from the airport. They left this morning at 6 a.m. They'll be back next week. Um, pray that God keeps them safe as they build out that house that Coastal was generous to provide. So um, as we sing and worship the Lord and go from here, take this opportunity this week to pray for them that are in Honduras.